Hey, Reviewed fans, this is Ivan here. I usually don't start an episode like this, but I wanted to give you all a disclaimer. The audio for this episode's a little bit wonky. We actually had a filter turned on, uh, the mixer that wasn't coming through our headphones, that makes it sound uh, echoey. And um, I just wanted to give everyone a heads up that this isn't the normal audio quality per episode. And apologies to guest Jahir Dowd, who joined us for this episode. His insights are pretty awesome, so I hope you guys stick around regardless. Also, um, if you pretend, it's like we're giving this podcast in a large auditorium with thousands of people. So, you know, with a little bit of imagination, the audio quality actually becomes... uh, pretty impressive. Like we're actually big shots on a stage. So uh, thanks for dealing with the audio issues this episode. It will sound a lot better next time. Uh, Thanks so much. Bye. Hold on to your butts. Hello and welcome to episode 41 of the Reviewed Movie Podcast. I am Ivan Kander and as always I am joined by my two debonair handsome co-hosts Dave Blanz and Mike Morandi. Say hello gentlemen. Hello gentlemen. This is the podcast where we talk about classic movies in a modern cinematic context and on today's episode we have a special guest joining us all the way from New York via Skype. Shahir Dowd. Say hello sir. Hello, sir. Perfect. He gets the joke. He's in. Um, Shahir, Shahir has his own podcast called The Only Podcast About Movies that you can find on iTunes and subscribe. Oh, so he yeah, is. I'm, I'm a little confused about this, guys. We are the only podcast about movies. Yeah, it is weird. Uh, well, it's, a, it's an alternate timeline. That's what you're recording <laughs> on now. Um, he's also an amazing filmmaker. He's actually one of my favorite short filmmakers ever. I write for a website called Short of the Week as I plug at the end of the show every time we record. And he's made two films, one of which I consider to be one of the best movies ever made about adolescence. It's a movie called Double Happy that you need to watch immediately. So, uh, yes, should very I nice. That right now? Uh, not you, Mike. Thank you, you, very need, much. you need to stay here for the podcast. But okay. yeah, so you should, uh, as soon as you're done listening to this podcast, uh, head over to his website. I believe what's, it's just shahirdow.com, right? Yeah, that's right. Um, or you can find them on Vimeo. Um, his two films that I love dearly are Double Happy and La Lotteria. Uh, both are very different, but both are excellent. So you should totally watch them. But getting back onto the business at hand, this is the podcast where we talk about classic movies and determine whether or not they hold up in a modern uh, viewing. Today's episode, we are going to talk about the 1984 science fiction classic James Cameron's The Terminator. In the 21st century... A weapon will be invented like no other. This weapon will be powerful, versatile, and indestructible. It can't be reasoned with. It can't be bargained with. It will feel no pity, no remorse, no pain, no fear. It will have only one purpose, to return to the present and prevent the future. This weapon will be called the Terminator. You're dead, honey. What day is it? The date? 12th May, Thursday. What year? Assigned to protect you. You've been targeted for termination. So, 
I chose this uh, movie. Oh, I'm sorry. Um, great you chose great trailer. Oh yeah, it was an amazing I, I, trailer. I chose this movie. Yes, you guys kind of <laughs> nudged me along a little bit. Mm. D- uh, this movie is obviously in the you know it's in the zeitgeist. We just had a sequel, a big budget sequel to this film, hit the box office, which I believe you reviewed on your show, if I'm not mistaken, she here, correct? More like a missed yeah, box we- office. Uh, oh, zing. Yeah, we did, and fairly unfavorably as well. Um, but one of the things that I, I figured the reason you might have invited me along is for some reason on our podcast, we generally talk about two films every time we get on the show. And one is Terminator 2, and the other is The Avengers. Um, I'm the Terminator 2 guy, and uh, my co host, Matt Kroll, is The Avengers guy. So we some, somehow managed to talk about these films a lot. Um, yeah, and. For those reasons, uh, that's why I'm having you on this show. But also, I think it's kind of interesting to go back to the roots of this franchise that now exists in, I believe, five incarnations now. Um, and there's also there was an amusement park ride in Universal Studios based on this. Mm. I mean, it, it spawned countless toys. It, it spawned and catchphrases and it had a humongous influence on the pop culture zeitgeist, as it were. So I guess I'm going to start with you. You've kind of laid the, the cards a little bit talking about how much of a fan you are of Terminator 2. Um, mm-hmm. What do you think about the Terminator? And did you have my experience where you actually saw Terminator 2 before you saw the Terminator uh, growing up? Well, I no, actually, I think I saw it the right way around, but I think I might have been a little young when I saw The Terminator. I know my brother, my older brother was a huge fan of it, and, and he was the one that took me to see Terminator 2, and I think I might have been like 13 years old when I saw Terminator 2. And Terminator 2 blew my mind. Like, Terminator 2 changed everything I knew about filmmaking and made me want to be a filmmaker. So I, I hold that film in high regard, and as a result, I went back to Terminator more after Terminator 2, but I, I think after seeing the Terminator the first time, I was kind of, you know, I was lukewarm to it. I enjoyed it. I'm, I was, a, you know, as a kid, uh, I was a big fan of Arnold. Uh, so, you know, I kind of, I was into it for those reasons, but I wasn't super into it as a film on its whole, uh, on, on its own terms, until Terminator 2. And um, I guess uh, I'm going to go to Mike and Dave in a second, but now watching it now, and I watched on Netflix last night, um, this is mm-hmm. a movie that came out in 1984. It's 2015. Is this a movie that holds up, or is it only remember- remembered fondly because of who James Cameron is now and of all that spawned because of it? Well, yeah, that's an, that's an interesting question because it is a it's a surprisingly small film, uh, you know, given the franchise that it eventually spawned and the, you know, the countless other things that it spawned. It's, you know, rewatching it for me um, a couple of nights ago, it is surprisingly small and intimate. But um, so I, I, you know, just as a little segue, I just directed a music video and um, uh, on set, we kind of, you know how you have like those little meetings before the, the video starts and you're trying to get your crew riled up. And I kind of, there was something I said, which was that, this music video is um, Cymatics, which it's, it's a follow-up to another music video I did by way of James Cameron. And I, I kind of blurted it out, and I, I immediately reeled as soon as I said it. I was like, oh, why did you say something that dumb? Um, but I was trying to think about what, what James Cameron means. You know, like when I said it, I obviously was trying to, you know, imply that there's a certain quality to James Cameron's films that I like. And, and I think what it comes down to which is something that I saw in this film again, watching it again, is that it has to do with, obviously there's a technical proficiency that we all know, you know, James Cameron is, you know, among the, 
the great special effects directors, you know, the, the great uh, visionaries in terms of the things that he can imagine and puts on screen. Um, but, but the thing that I think is more interesting is the level of detail that he's interested in. You know, so if you compare this film to Terminator Genesis, which is all exposition without any kind of context, and then think about Terminator, which is all detail without too much exposition. Um, I think that's what I think is interesting about this film. You know, like, we don't really know how the Terminator works in this film, but we see him go through, like, the process of trying to figure out how to kill Sarah Connor in a really, like, silent, you know, almost silent movie kind of way. Like, we, you know, he just kind of, like, goes to this room he starts buying guns, he starts looking through the phone book, he starts like approaching people who are Sierra Connor. And I, and I tried to like watch this thinking about what it must have been like watching this in 1984 when you had no idea what was up or what the Terminator was or, you know. So I think while the film is, you know, like if you watch it in terms of James Cameron's work, it's kind of small and, and maybe a little intimate. It, it is kind of startling the, the amount of detail that he kind of works into this movie and, and the, the kind of things he's interested in are, are clearly evident and they're the kind of things that I think a lot of new blockbusters and, you know, like let's just use the direct comparison of Terminator Genesis. They're the kind of things that those films kind of miss the point on, you know, that, that this is a film where, you know, like the little details matter. Um, so... You know, uh, you know, for example, like uh, the things that I noticed this time around were like the the lieutenant in the office is like, you know, he asks for a cigarette and then he like reaches with his other hand and realizes he has a cigarette in his mouth. And it's, <laughs> it's just this kind of like weird details that they would kind of, you know, that's a character detail that you would gloss over for, you know, a secondary character. But it kind of, it really works. And then I think the thing that's most amazing about this film is the way Kyle Reese is done. You know, he he looks strung out. He looks like he's been through a war. Um, he, you know, he he really feels like a soldier who's probably suffering from PTSD. Um, which I, you know, again, it's just this great character detail that you know I think a lot of films miss. Um, so I really enjoyed it from that from that point of view. Um, and then you know, but but on the on the negative side, you know, James Cameron is can be a fairly unsubtle filmmaker, um, if anything. And, and while the rope, you know, the, the fear of the machines is kind of interesting, he, he does lay it on a little thick in this movie. And I think he lays it on even thicker in, in um, Terminator 2, but there's probably a more, there's a more confident filmmaker in Terminator 2 that kind of makes that stuff work a little better. I think the worst example of it is probably uh, maybe the original ending to the abyss, you know, where he like lays on this whole nuclear uh, thing, and then you know, Avatar for me didn't, you know, didn't really quite connect because I think he, you know, he has that tendency to like lay things on a little thick. Well, but, I, I mean, I, I do agree with you. I mean, don't talk, don't don't hate totally on the abyss because I actually really like that movie. But oh, um, I, well, he's I talking about the director's abyss. <laughs> I'm just talking about that ending. I think the abyss is amazing. It's probably one of his best. Well, movies. you bring up this point about what would it be like if someone didn't have the knowledge of who this Terminator character was prior to watching it. And I have that person with us. <laughs> uh, surprisingly, Mike, who's a co-host on this show, has seen no movies, which is why he's part of the show. That's he like won't. my stick. To yeah. be fair, he did live in a bomb shelter for 30 years. Yeah, I did. it was I did. weird. Um, yeah. Mike, having no idea who Arnold Schwarzenegger is, yeah, and no this movie clue. is, what did you think of the Terminator 1984? 
Right. So, okay. <laughs> Caveat. I know I knew a little bit about it going into. I mean, you can't, I think in pop culture, you can't, you know, you cannot be completely unaware of Terminator and all that's like, you know, it's, it's one liners or, you know, what the robot looks like underneath all the skin. Um, so I feel like there, some of that stuff did get ruined for me. So I, I knew what was coming in, cert, in some aspect, you know. Um, but the plot of the movie, I was largely ignorant of. Like, I don't know exactly how it, where, well, I knew the ending. I knew that you ended with, uh, spoiler alert, Sarah Connor by herself, pregnant, driving off into a storm. Like, I knew that was one of the, the end shots. Um, but I didn't really know exactly what happened in, in this movie at all. Have you seen any of the other? No. no well, I actually, I've seen the third one. I saw the one with, uh, oh the chick Terminator. <laughs> wow. Yeah. I mean, look, when this came out, I was, you like, know, that, that's the one that people say you should start with. Really. Well, right, right. Yeah. yeah. Look, 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 look. I, when this movie came out, I was probably like still in like fourth grade. My parents were like, "No, you're an impressionable youth. This will scar you." Because they knew how scared I no, was. No, you were way younger. It came out in '84, so you well, '84, were... and then the second one came out. In, oh yeah, '91, '92, right? '92. So yeah, I was still at that point, you know, sixth or seventh grade or something. Anyway, I was a scared child. There's no way, way I should have seen these movies. To, to be fair, but um, <laughs> no. And to go off of what she here is saying. Um, I like this movie for the same reason I liked Jaws. I think it's not just a um, movie about the Terminator killing people. I think it's a movie about the characters and the you know dynamics between them. Um, you know, you look at every character kind of has his own, his or her own arc, and uh, it's not just about a robot that's going around killing people. It's about Sarah Connor understanding you know what happens to her and her child. It's about Kyle, Kyle Reese, Kyle, right? Yes. Yeah. Kyle Reese um, meeting for the first time a woman he's been obsessing over for a large portion of his life, knowing that that will be um, the mother of his children that will eventually save him later. In, like, down I don't past. think he knew that, actually. You don't think he knew that? Uh, no. I don't think he knows that. No. He doesn't know that. No. No. John Connor John does. Connor. John Connor knew it, but he knew he was sending his dad back. But did, doesn't he, he doesn't know that he's John Connor's father? No. 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 Um, okay. <laughs> that's what I thought originally. I thought something happened, and then oh well. Either way, e- even still, the fact that he's John Connor gave him a picture of his mom, and he's he's been secretly staring at How this thing, falling in that? love, like fall in love with my mom, buddy. I mean, it's kind of it's creepy now because everyone's a creep. But like back in the day, I mean, there's something about that. Like assuming that Kyle Reese is not actually a creep, and I think based on what we see about him, he's not a creep. Something about that in some way kind of imagine like you know you, you see this girl from it's essentially. In a weird, less weird way, you're seeing some girl from afar, and you really want to talk to her, but you know that she's dead, and you will never meet her. And all of a sudden, boom, you get to go back in time and meet her um, and help save the guy that, that you idolize. I mean, I, I just I, that's just an interesting premise for a character. Um, I think you just described the film Somewhere in Time featuring Christopher Reeve. But yeah, I like I like the the character twists and turns, and, and like like a. Uh, uh, Shahir was saying, just like the detailed stuff in the film, I think, like even something like the scene where he's looking at the um, construction vehicles and yeah, has a flashback to that. I just think it's great because it's a really good stark contrast between what will eventually happen and these big, dumb, lumbering, brainless machines that we have now and kind of you know what that would be like if you're looking at something like that in the past, knowing what comes in the future, my God, these things are eventually going to overtake us. So that's that's kind of everything I have to say. Dave, I can... Toss it your way. I have more to say, but we'll just we'll get back into there. that. But Dave, yeah. uh, you're huge. I mean, I, I actually don't know your take on James Cameron, and I don't know your take on the Terminator franchise. Dave is a cinephile of the group. He knows more about movies <laughs> than anybody. So, oh god, uh, Dave is a movie. Yep. Well, overall, I'm a James Cameron fan. I mean, I, I, uh, I pretty much everything he's done, I've I've at least liked. I mean, uh, if not loved. I mean, I, growing up, the Terminator was something I'd seen on VHS. 
uh, just like you know many films from from the eighties, I kind of caught up with a few years later when I was uh, in middle school or high school, and this was just one of many. And uh, it didn't really stand out until the sequel came out for me. I was like, oh, they're making a sequel to this. Is why not the Running Man or why not uh, you know Predator or whatever? <laughs> so uh, disappointed. Which, which I guess they eventually made a sequel to anyway. Uh, but uh, yeah, I mean, I, I I'd say it's for me. It's it's hard to pick what my favorite camera film is i mean I, I probably would go with terminator 2 honestly uh but i you know I, i'll defend titanic i'll defend uh, avatar i still think those are good films um and uh as a filmmaker i think uh he's it, it's like if you watch if you start at the beginning and just watch uh, all those films in order you can really see a filmmaker evolving in some ways and devolving another de- i don't know if that's, that's, the word, that's a word but going, devolving, going, going devolving, down <laughs> decaying. He, he loses some of what makes some of his early films interesting but he also uh, gains a lot like he's he's a guy who's very hungry to know everything how to do everything if you talk if you read any stories about or, or uh, any of his biographies he's a he's a very curious uh guy right i think he got the idea for terminator by uh he went to see star wars he was a truck driver and he said wait a minute i don't want to drive a truck anymore i want to make movies and then he did, right? He, he you wrote, know, I'm going to do that. I'm going to do that. I'm just going to quit my job and just make movies and get it big. <laughs> so the Terminator has this kind of like lean uh, quality. It feels like someone uh, made a movie and they had they put every ounce of effort that they could into it. And, uh, all the money that, that he had, I think, is up on screen. Uh, it's a very uh, there's you can't I can't imagine a scene that you would remove from this movie. Uh, though that said, I'm not. I still think Terminator is a very good film. Maybe not a masterpiece. Not not a great film. I think it. I think it holds up as a just a solid thriller. You know, it, it moves along. Uh, doesn't try to explain too much. It puts a lot of the exposition in the action, um, so that you know they, they don't sit around talking about it. They they talk about what's happening while they're driving away from the Terminator. Right. They, <laughs> they find good places to put all this explanatory dialogue, and um, uh, the special effects. I mean, when you put, spe- what, you know, special effects are always going to be a tricky thing. I mean, you, you never know how they're going to age. I mean, uh, how many, this is 30 years later. I mean, it, it, you know, some of them obviously don't look so good. You know, so, I mean, that, yeah. it, there's, there's a huge difference, even just the jump of 10 years. If you go back and watch Terminator 2, uh, the, the, the effects, the, the, the spaceship effects shots, the, uh, the action effects. I mean, obviously they had a much larger budget to work with, but uh, those effects hold up uh, or vastly superior than than a movie that came out only six or seven years earlier, and uh, uh, but again, you know, some of the uh, lo-fi uh, effects is it's part of its charm, I suppose. And and you know, Schwarzenegger as a as a as a as a presence on screen, he's I mean, you can't help but say like this guy is uh, it's just interesting to watch. I mean, yeah, interesting for sure. <laughs> he he does a very good robot. Right. I think yeah. like as part of him, I think he's well, just it's this weird jerky, because. Like, it's weird because, you know, it is inherently ridiculous that they would have a guy with an Austrian accent play a cyborg, but for some reason it kind of works. It's like almost like they couldn't figure out how to make them talk like real humans. <laughs> right, right, exactly. That's what I was oh, thinking. That, that was harsh. I know. Like they didn't get the voice quite right. <laughs> like the, the machines messed up and somehow gave him an Austrian yeah. accent. Like I think that's very interesting. You're close. Yeah, they're pretty good Give with the muscle tone, not so good with the, uh, the accents. <laughs> um, it's amazing to me in most Schwarzenegger films, they never address like his non-Americanness. Yeah. You know, like most, most Schwarzenegger films never ever 
say anything about that. He's just, you know, he's just this guy. And he always has an American name, too. Which is well, the only, the only film I believe they actually do do that in is uh, uh, Kindergarten Cop, ironically, because they actually have a conversation about how he's from Austria, and then they have the other character. I'm getting on a tangent. But anyway. Hey, um, officer. <laughs> it's not a tumor. It's not but, a tumor. But you're you're kind of right. They, they don't need to explain it in this one because he's, you know, like he's a robot. He's a machine. He's, he's just this giant presence. So here's my take on Terminator. And ha- I haven't watched this in a really long time. Growing up, my cousin was the biggest fan ever of Terminator 2. And we're talking about when this kid was like eight. So like when I was like seven and this kid was eight, we would watch Terminator 2 like every time we got to see each other. Like we, we I was obsessed with Terminator 2 growing up, which is really disturbing for an eight-year-old child to be obsessed with the movie. Um, it explains a lot. It, it does. Um, so I, you know, I kind of only came back to Terminator 1 later and, re- and re- revisiting this time, I, you know, it's hard not to notice how I don't want to say cheap, but low budget this movie looks. Yeah. Um, the the big conclusion that I... Here's my thesis for the episode, guys. Here's what I'm going to say. Is this one of your theories yeah. of what it actually means? No, 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 uh, no, 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 okay. no, 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 no. This is more like a comparison. I'm making an analogy here. I think Terminator 1 and Terminator 2 is to James Cameron as is Evil Dead and Evil Dead 2 is to Sam Raimi. You think he was remaking? I think Terminator 2 Terminator. is a remake of Terminator 1. And I think Terminator 2, he accomplished everything he wanted to do in Terminator 1 but couldn't because technology was limiting him, budget was limiting him, and maybe just experience as a filmmaker was limiting him. Because both those movies are incredibly similar, right? They're about... Get on board with this theory. Okay, okay, see? (laughs) They're about two... Both movies are about, um, although the target is slightly different, both movies are about competing entities trying to get to somebody before the other one can, one to protect, one to kill. Um, They both involve these two two entities coming from a future time period and a post-apocalyptic time period and how their actions in the present end up inadvertently becoming the... um, the catalyst for events that will happen in the future. And that's my, like, in, in watching Terminator 1, all I could think about was like, oh, he's he just couldn't do this here, so he, you know, he saved that for Terminator 2. Or um, he hadn't quite figured out everything he wanted to do yet. Um, and that's kind of like my overarching conclusion here. I will say that I was... I, I don't think Schwarzenegger gets enough credit for being a good actor. Mm. I actually think he's a pretty... I don't think he's a great actor in the sense that he's not Daniel Day-Lewis. He's never going to disappear into a role or do anything like that. He's not that kind of actor, but he has... I mean, this you guys kind of already touched upon it, but he's a movie star. He has presence, and that presence enables him to exist in this movie where a lot of other actors couldn't. I, I would say I would agree with you. I think he's got a very good presence. Acting, though, I, don't, I think it worked here because I think his... Weird acting comes off robotic, and it works perfectly for the role. He's definitely going for something, though. He's yeah, trying to act a robotic. Of, like a lot of like walking around with like chest puffed out, and, you know, the the jerky as a jerky head motions and stuff. Yeah, whether or not he's, he was doing that on purpose, I don't know. But um, yeah, I think it does work for the role. I think it does work for the fact that he is a murder machine from the future. <laughs> and I think all that stuff. Yeah, I think you know, like yeah, I agree with you, Ivan. He's not a. He's not an actor you think, you know, could pull off any role, but he's good at what he does. And I think with Cameron, he found, you know, it's kind of like uh, David Fincher and Brad Pitt. It's that, you know, there's one particular director who kind of gets what this actor is good at and brings it out of him every time. Um, you know, and I think that's what James Cameron is to, is to Arnold Schwarzenegger. He's the guy who can really, who knows what he, he can do and really brings it out. Oh, True Lies is a good example of, of a situation where, I mean, Schwarzenegger worked as a 
is that his, his comedic his chops yeah. yeah comedic chops actually uh, came through <laughs> in that and one. I, I that's probably my least favorite Cameron movie but you know even that I kind of I I think another filmmaker wouldn't be able to pull off what he did with 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 Arnold and even just the scale of that movie um, now I want to talk I want to go back into James Cameron as a filmmaker and what makes him great and this sounds it almost sounds like I'm not praising him enough, but I think that the reason James Cameron is great is that he can stage, he knows how to shoot action comprehensively. Like, and that seems like a very simple thing to do, but so few people actually no, do it. Agree, yeah. And James Cameron does it in a way where it's action packed, but you know every geography where things are, you know where each character is. It's not it's not on-screen chaos. You know exactly where everybody is in relation to each other. You know where something is coming from, where it's going. Yep. Exactly. And I think that takes a great amount of skill to do that. And he also is good at showing things that you haven't seen before, I think. That's yeah. one of my favorite aspects to his filmmaking is that, like, wow, I really haven't seen, you know, a guy run through fire and punch through a windshield <laughs> before. I mean, not, not to my knowledge. I mean, I don't, I don't think there had been any movies quite like Terminator when it, when it came out. Well, I, I have an interesting, like, uh, sort of anecdote from, a, from Guillermo del Toro, who was talking about, uh, you know, like, how to stage a big action scene. Um, and he was having trouble kind of thinking about how to do this, and he was talking to James Cameron about it, because they both happened to be in New Zealand a lot at the time. Um, Guillermo del Toro was there for The Hobbit, and um, James Cameron was there for Avatar. And, and there was something that James Cameron said to him that, that really stuck, and it was something along the lines that if you're staging an action scene, don't think of it as an action scene. Um, and I think this is important to why James Cameron is particularly good at action and why maybe some of his contemporaries, people like Michael Bay or, I, I don't know, um, you know, Zack Snyder or something like that, maybe aren't as strong as, as he is, but, you know, better other things, um, is that he said, you know, don't think of it as an action scene. Imagine you're shooting a dialogue. I was just going to say that it's a dialogue. Yeah. Yeah. Imagine that you're yep. shooting a dialogue scene, and then and and if it and if it is a dialogue scene, which means that there is an exchange of information going on here, how do you best convey that in, that exchange of information? So every every shot shouldn't be about like getting the most explosions and or you know giving the the, the biggest bang. It's about you know what exchange of information is happening what's happening in the story here that's important for us in terms of the full you know the full experience of the story and I, I think that's why he's good at what he does is that yes he is very technically proficient you know um, he is a very um, yeah as you said curious scientific mind you know he knows a lot about a lot of things and he's very difficult to work with incidentally as far as I know um, yeah, that's, that's, that's good yeah, that's like the... Yeah. Well, that's also why he hasn't made that many movies, to be honest with you. I mean, this is a guy that's, you know, been making movies prior to 1984, and he's only made, he's only directed, like, what, 10 movies? Sure, uh, but, uh, you know, he's got a lot of other interests outside of movies, which, you know, I think are pretty admirable as well. You know, that's, uh, like, his his dive missions are kind of, like, world-renowned as well. Um, right. And, you know, he's got, like, a, a major interest in space travel as well, which I'm sure means at some point we're going to see a James Cameron-built spaceship. <laughs> um, but go ahead. I think, I think that's why he's good at what he does, is that, you know, like, for example, um, the, the, you know, just the detail, the, the, the fact that they go into this factory press, and, and, you know, it's a spoiler alert for the end of the film, and then, you know, uh, Sarah Connor eventually crushes 
um, the Terminator inside that. We, you know, he, he sets up all those details right at the beginning. He sets up where we are, what's going to happen in this room, how this machine works, and then we see Sarah kind of crawl back through it. And while it's exciting, you know, he kind of, we're completely orientated on what's happening. Um, yeah, I mean, it's a, great, it's a great point. I'm sorry to interrupt you. you want to finish? No, 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 sorry. Yeah. Um, I, want to, I want to talk a little bit, like, it's interesting. Dave mentioned that they had this big exposition sequence when they're literally on a uh, speeding chase, which I think is an effective way to convey information. I like how um, the mechanics of the, what the Terminator looks like are shown dialogue-free when he's trying to fix himself. Um, like when he's like using the pliers, you get to see like his uh, the, uh, the new arm, yeah. for the first yeah, time, which I think is really cool. The eyeball scene, mm-hmm. all that stuff, I think is is really well done. I don't think the puppetry really holds up all that well, uh, but um, uh, <laughs> Arnold's uh, second face not so great. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It, it is funny when it cu- it cuts back and forth between that. Uh, and nowadays, like we're accustomed, we're accustomed to such flawless special effects nowadays. You're like, wait a minute, is this a mistake cut? Like, how did that? How did that make it uh, into the actual <laughs> film? And I was watching it with my wife, and she's like, she we we watched we started watching immediately, and they have the opening sequence where it shows like the post-apocalyptic uh, future <laughs> with all the uh, you know machines exploding, and she's like, God, this movie doesn't hold up at all. Like that was <laughs> within, within 15 seconds, she was already out. She was yeah, like, I think the first like I'd say five minutes is rough. You got the and you got the guy in the the dump truck or the garbage truck who's like hey what's going on he's like what's going on or is this something weird well terminator is full of um side characters that are complete caricatures of who they should be like the uh mexican man who's pumping gas at the end like he's like the perfect mexican <laughs> oh, stereotype yeah, yeah, yeah. The punks uh, in the beginning the punks at the beginning with pill packs pill packs that i was gonna yeah oh my god um so i mean it is it is a movie that as she here said it's he's it is not a subtle movie in a lot of a lot of ways. It, it's subtle in certain ways in, in terms of the detail of the tech and the future and all that kind of stuff. It's Very not cool. sudden. It's not subtle with certain dialogue and moments like that. I mean, I, I mean, let's talk about Sarah Connor and Kyle Reese and their relationship. Did that effectively work for you? Did you buy that they would really hook up at that time, or was it something that you, <laughs> were you were you just excited to see boobs? I mean, like, what, <laughs> where were you at that point in the movie? Yeah, fourteen year old me, yes, fourteen year old you in no, current I, day. That, that, that's the thing that maybe did stand out for me is that I, I didn't quite buy that these people would actually fall in love. And that's you know, uh, Dave. Have you seen him with his shirt off? I mean, did you really think? I mean, come on, <laughs> which, which one of them? Uh, either, either yeah. day. Well, that's the twist. She ends up having sex with the Terminator. It's a very, very big twist. Yeah, it? I mean, and you know, romance in movies—it's a hard thing to get right, right? You're, and especially when you're you're kind of sprinkling uh, sprinkling in a romance in the, in the midst of the science fiction action film. It makes it even more difficult, I think. And you know, I, I kind of I bought it to the extent where I said, okay, this is how the story needs to unfold because this is just this is I mean, this is just what's happening. But I, I didn't. You know, I didn't feel sad at the end when uh, when <laughs> that that is probably because you have no heart, Dave. You, know, you have no soul. Well, I mean, to, to I guess you haven't seen Terminator too, but I'll just say that uh, the relationship, the central relationship in that movie, for me, still, well, the acting still isn't great by I think it's mother daughter by, by the uh, mother, mother by Edward Furlong who plays that uh, John Connor uh, in Terminator Two. That that relationship holds up a little. It, it, I, you know, it, I got a little wimpy eye. I remember when I was a kid seeing that, but not so much with this. Um, this romance, so it didn't, <laughs> to, didn't, didn't me, really work for me that that well. I would say it works as well as any uh, movie romance is going to shoehorn it in two hours in science fiction. I mean, like I, I think you have the motivation there. Right? This guy is, again has been obsessing over a picture for years. Um, 
And let's be real. I mean, every girl kind of wants to get rescued by this, like, you know, mysterious brooding stranger from the future who's ripped when he takes I'll, off I'll his be, shirt. I'll be real. We'll, I don't think everyone wants that. All right, Dave, you take a tally. I want you to go out there and do a survey and you say, hey, would you be okay so, with a ripped stranger from the future? So after he slapped a few times. Yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah I mean, he, you know, he's... Uh, if it weren't for the fact that uh, the guy, you know, if the Terminator didn't get shot and fall, fall down and, and keep getting back up, I mean, uh, she might think that this person was insane. I, mean, <laughs> I will say... I, I think, go ahead. Sorry. Oh, sorry. No, no, no. Sorry. Go ahead. I was just going to say that my my argument for why that sex scene works is I actually don't oh, think... Oh, sex scene? I thought we were talking about the romance. Well, the I romance. I actually don't feel like... I almost feel like she, uh, Sarah Connor is not really uh, into it at the moment. She almost feels bad for him. She's giving him like a mercy. Oh, no, this is a pity lane. It's a pity lane. <laughs> oh, and and think, no. think about this. He, he just basically revealed that he's a virgin, uh, essentially. Our future and that is he's all been, dependent on people. <laughs> and he's been obsessing over him. She's like, you know what? Fine. Let's no, get this over with. No, because she's equally she's also a virgin no no, no maybe not no, not maybe at all not. not at all man wait so we don't she know got, either one well of them. she got stood up by so her last boyfriend point, anyway. a porsche driving boyfriend right a fancy car driving boyfriend so yeah that's true that's true. that guy I think the got... point i'm making is that she seems just as inexperienced as he does she seems kind of like oh i don't know what i'm doing she can't even know, be a waitress they both seem like anyone <laughs> <laughs> You know, Ivan, I think you're right in that. The well, it doesn't quite work. It feels shoehorned in the sixing, but it also like I think one thing that James Cameron is good at is structure. And even though that scene doesn't really kind of play, or it's kind of it's a little out of place, it it you understand why it needs to be there in the story. Like you know, the whole film was about this this person coming back in time who reveals that the son of this woman is the savior of mankind and the great twist at the end is that he is unknowingly the father of this child you know this the savior of mankind that we don't that we've never seen so you know in in that structural sense that makes sense and you know like i'm thinking about like um zack snyder's man of steel which has like Lois Lane and, and Superman make out in the middle of a horrific war scene <laughs> for no reason whatsoever. And the reason that that scene doesn't work is that there's no context to that. We don't know, we, we barely know who Lois Lane is in this universe. The only reason that scene is there is because historically in the comic book world, those two characters would make out. But, you know, like it, it makes no sense whatsoever. And in this film, even though it doesn't really work, and I, you know, I think James Cameron is a fantastic structural writer, but maybe not the best dialogue and scene writer. Oh, yeah, there's a ton yeah. of clunkers in this movie. <laughs> I mean, structurally, structurally, like, I, I would even say, like, in the, the romance in Titanic is is written badly, <laughs> but structurally very excellent. I, I, I totally agree. Totally agree. I totally agree with you, too. Um, I w- and I will also say, going on that point about structure, Sarah Connor's character evolution is perfect in this movie. She starts out as this, you know, naive waitress who can't even deliver the right orders to customers. And by the end, like, she gets ice cream in her pocket, for God's sake. What kind of waitress gets ice cream in her pocket, guys? At the end of the movie, like, when she says, you're terminated, motherfucker, like, she's like, (laughs) she, and then carry that evolution into Terminator 2. Exactly. It's brilliant. You know, like, the the transformation that happens in Terminator 2 with that character is amazing. Yeah. Yeah, And I think that sets up this great heroine of Sarah Connor in the sense that, um, 
we, we live in this, you know, age right now where, where there's this, the idea of feminism is very much in popular culture. It's something we're talking about a lot. And the reason I like Sarah Connor so much as a character is that she's not, she's not like a butch, like, she's not like a girl trying to be a man or anything like that. Yeah. She's just a tough character that, especially in Terminator 2, that evolves. And she's, um, and it just feels natural. It doesn't feel yeah, like they're going for something. She's a is, tough character. She's not a superhuman character. I think she's a human character. And I think makes sense that she becomes as tough as she is because she just went through all the stuff she just went through and she knows that what's coming and she's going to have to prepare for that. So I feel like that kind of is, you know, we're looking at the character who starts out this way and eventually I haven't seen Terminator 2. Surprise! Um, yeah, I know. Well, I know. Do you want to now? Yeah, uh, yeah absolutely. Oh, I, I should, I will you should s- stop everything and watch that. Yeah, movie. because Terminator <laughs> 2 right may be one of the best action movies ever made. It's, yeah. it's, it's phenomenal. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah and I've seen clips of it. It looks awesome. Like, you know, special effects. And it, 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 will, it will blow away anything that you've watched in the last 10 years now. It, will, it still will be better than most of those. Movies. I agree. Huh. And it's, it's a, see, we live in this, we've, I think we talked about this last episode or a couple episodes ago about this idea of how special effects are used. And this idea uh, with Terminator 2, he was making leaps and jumps in special effects. Leaps that were, and bounds. Leaps and bounds. that were <laughs> unprecedented at the time, but he was still grounding with a lot of practical effects as well. So what you end up getting is this Jurassic Park effect where everything just still looks pretty damn good, mm-hmm. um, which is what's so this amazing. Is two, you Terminator 2, okay, yeah. Okay, yeah. Um, because it, it's amazing that the special effects in Terminator 2 look way better than any of the special effects in the, in the, proceed, in the, in the, the three films, that, the three Terminator films that followed it. They still look way better than those. Yeah, well, I think it's because he put... Uh, you know, those three films, and I have, I've only seen uh, Terminator 3 and bits and pieces of uh, Salvation, but uh, I think, you know, it's a quantity versus quality kind of thing. It's like it, Terminator 2 has high quality special effects, but they're not, you know, there's not, uh, there's not a ton of effects, right? I mean, there's like, there's, there, there are moments that you remember because they're like really clever and really well uh, thought out, but there's not like... Uh, you know, a, a lot of the things I remember from Terminator 2, for instance, are, aren't necessarily even special effects. Or the look on Robert, Robert Patrick's face when he's running. You know, it's the same thing yeah. with with the Terminator. It's um, yeah, it's, it's, it's yeah, it's exactly. It's uh, it's like the way uh, the car chase is filmed, or the way um, you know, uh, I'm trying to think the way the Terminator exoskeleton, or it, what would you call it, the uh, the skeleton of the Terminator uh, works as a uh, just just works and operates. I mean, it's interesting to see it uh, operating. It, 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 you know, I feel like there's there's no um, there's no big ostentatious reveal of like the skin peeling off and the robot stepping out of the... It just kind of appears from the fire, which is terrifying. Like, right. you don't see how that happens. And I think probably because they were limited by the, uh, the effects they can use, but now you'd have like a really big... These um, first two Terminator films were very nightmare-inducing for me as a kid. Oh, yeah. 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 You know, just the, uh, I mean, we're, we were still, I mean, obviously we're still living in a time where nuclear war could happen, but it was really, and robots it was, it was really in the, you know, people really talked about it a lot back then. And, and uh, especially the, the nuclear explosion in Terminator 2, I, that probably made my summer just terrible. I always, I, yeah, careful, I, careful. I, uh, I always had to fast forward through that sequence because it terrified me so Sorry, much. it's a dream sequence. And yeah. it's, again, it's, 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 there's something about the way Cameron kind of either writes it or, or shoots it where, because that nuclear explosion happens in Terminator 3 and Terminator Genesis, and I think it might even happen in Terminator Salvation, and it looks nowhere near as horrific, it, it has no weight to it, mm-hmm. compared with the way he did it, where it feels real and it feels horrific, and it, you know, he feels like he's a filmmaker that's willing to go there. 
you know, like yes. really go there. Yeah, like really, really, <laughs> well, go really. Don't spoil any more for Mike, so that you can you can see what "go there" means when you. <laughs> well, I mean, yeah. th that sequence holds the. Um... We're talking about James Cameron makes a cameo himself, and he humps the nuclear explosion. <laughs> nice. I would. Nice. That sequence has the That's honor of uh, being. It being comparable to uh, uh, the scene in Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory that always terrified me as a kid when oh, they're in the, the tunnel. Yeah. <laughs> it's the same. It's the same deal. Um, I will. Okay. So uh, my, my, my theory is, you know, Terminator 2 was essentially a remake of Terminator 1. It gave James Cameron a chance to do everything he wanted to do with Terminator 1. Uh, I have, a, I have a, some information about that that will help that theory. Out. Oh, okay. okay. Uh, cool. But, um, wait, but, wait, wait. What's that information? Okay, go uh, ahead. What is this information? Tell me why I'm right. I well, well, there, I was glad that you guys invited me on because my wife bought me a biography of James Cameron, which I had, hadn't read, and I decided to read it over the weekend. It's not a great book, uh, but I've had it for a couple of years, but it's been sitting on the shelf. But the, the interesting thing was is that the liquid middle man was actually supposed to be in Terminator 1, and, and basically Terminator 1... And Terminator 2 were essentially, he, the way he wrote the original screenplay was that they were one film, where Kyle Reese killed the T-800 in the, in the end of the first act, or the end of the second act, in Terminator 1, and then the machine sent back the T-1000 uh, at the end of Terminator, you know, in the middle of Terminator 1, and, and that was a machine that nobody wanted to mess with because the consequences were so dire. Um, and, and it was basically... James Cameron decided, you know, like the budget came in and, and they couldn't do the liquid middle effect. They were trying to figure it out with claymation and that sort of thing. Oh, that um, so he decided to make it a much leaner, meaner film by just like taking out that whole second half. When he got asked to do Terminator 2, he said, well, let's go back to that second idea and put it together again. So, huh. well, I, awesome. I think, I think the, I, there you go. See, yeah. I'm right, guys. Uh, <laughs> no, I get, kind I, of right. Savor this kind moment. of right. No, but I, I get, do think, okay, go ahead. The amazing sorry. thing is, is that he, he manages to expand the universe in Terminator 2 quite significantly. Well, I think that the, um, I guess the point I was trying to go on from this is with Terminator 3, obviously James Cameron's not involved with that and the same with the subsequent sequels. The issue is he kind of breaks the mythology with Terminator 2 in a certain way because, okay, so the logic of the Terminator movies doesn't make a whole lot of sense at all. Like no, it, it, time it, travel it, movies no. in general, they can't, they're they always going to run, yeah, run but I think ter loop, but yeah. Terminator is a horrible offender. It may be the worst offender because like it, it, I mean, here's a movie where it needs time travel as a device to tell its story, but time travel really isn't essential to the plot in the sense that you never actually see the mechanism of time travel. Mm -hmm. It's not used by anything other than the two characters that are always sent back. Like that kind of thing is, is very interesting. Um, but by adding this character or, you know, the creation of a liquid metal machine that is like super hyper powerful, it almost kind of ruins the subsequent future world because it's like, why wouldn't they just make everything in this liquid metal that destroys everything? And right. like, like, you know, so it, it, it had a very limited budget. The future. They <laughs> well, make one I think they mentioned that in Terminator 2. They say, Do it's, they? Uh, it's a, yeah, they say it's a prototype that, and, and, and he says, in the in the story I was reading about what the way the original script worked, the reason that they, you know, again, this is all kind of here, you know, by the by because it's not in the film. But the reason that the machines don't want to send this the T one thousand back is that it is a prototype, and they're afraid of the consequences this machine will have to their to to their future evolution. 
Uh, oh, see, that's, so getting, that's, that's, ex- that's explaining too much. It's like, why, why do we even need to know that? In, in, like in, in, T2, he mentioned, he, in T2, he mentions it's an early prototype, and no one's exactly sure. You know, they know it's bad, but they don't know exactly sure how it works. Um, well, I guess, okay, I mean, you know what? I probably shouldn't get into this minutia because I'm going to go down a rabbit hole that's just bad for this movie. <laughs> because, like, how come time travel... Um, is that the oh, National the Guard coming for us? No, that's the machine. machine. <laughs> We're doomed. How can time travel, like, they, they cover it in this movie in the sense that, like, these are the only two things that can be sent back, right? Mm-hmm. But then in future series, other stuff is sent back. Like, I never quite understood well, that. Well, no, he said that, so he can't go back, but I didn't. No, but they can't go forward in time in this in this scenario. Well, there's no need to send him back. There's no machine in the past. But didn't they talk about like he's like why is it more things coming or something like that? And then oh, they well, didn't smash. Yeah, why don't them? they send like yeah. the Terminator? No, John Connor. <laughs> they talk about this in the uh, in Terminator Two, in Terminator One, and Terminator Two. Here we go. Uh, although Terminator Two kind of breaks it a little bit. See, well, they, it that, breaks it. Which which is that they destroyed the time displacement machine <laughs> after they sent Kyle Reese back. So there's no way for him to go back. But then how do they fix it? But in then Terminator how do they? Yeah, obviously, how did the Terminator <laughs> to come through as well? And yeah, it, it, it's, yeah it, you're going it's down a rabbit hole. hole. Yeah, and it, it, no, you're right; it doesn't work. But I, but there are interesting things that Cameron kind of does with it, which is which is like, for example, in T2, the major plot point is the development of the Cyberdyne microchip is based on the fact that they found the arm and the chip Terminator, from Terminator yeah. One. So it's kind of this somewhat cyclical loop right it's this idea that yeah it's the idea that you end up creating hitler because you went back in time to try to kill hitler like it's like this exactly yeah looper did it like everything i mean it's the 12 monkey syndrome which we talked about on the show um and those are my favorite the time travel thing it doesn't make a whole lot of sense and the further they keep going with it in terminator 3 I actually don't mind Terminator Salvation because they tried to step away from the time travel thing, but the more that they keep doing time travel, the more that they kind of just miss up well, everything that was good about Terminator 1 and 2. Well, the yeah. focus on the time travel, um, and I haven't seen Terminator Genesis, but this is my take based on the trailer, which seemed to spoil an awful lot. Um, the, it's a miss. Yeah, this, idea, the, the, this idea that like focusing on the time travel is kind of like this thing where fanboys focus on the wrong thing. Like yeah. they think that the, what makes Terminator interesting is the time travel, and that's like the least interesting thing about it. It's like, oh, the reason like we really care about, um, you know, you can't have Spider-Man with you know organic web shooters. I mean, that's <laughs> it's like that's not what makes what we care about Spider-Man. Like, and so who cares if Sam Raimi gets rid of his non-organic web shooters? It's this idea that you focus on the minutia of something that isn't important, and James Cameron gets what is, which. Is is why I think he's so cons- like why he goes through extraordinary lengths to not talk about the time travel. In fact, they freaking like it's the whole backstory is shown up in a title card. Essentially, he's like, oh yeah, by the right, way, yeah, by the way, yeah. they sent some they sent some stuff back in time. Uh, here's naked Arnold Schwarzenegger. Like yeah, he's mean, like he's just, just that quick into it's it. It's just a means to an end. He's using um, time travel to get uh, you know there's there's not going to be any uh, robots, android, super. Powerful, whatever, what you're not gonna be anything like a Terminator in 1984. So if you want to have a Terminator in 1984, well, he's probably gonna have to come from the future. So it's like exactly. that's why I think that's why I think that's, that, that, that's that thing of like James Cameron is a great structural writer. You know, like he he gets why this has to be there, but it's not necessarily the most elegant right. piece of writing. Whereas I think you know, like 
Ryan Johnson and Looper, even though he kind of maybe fudges time travel a little bit, he kind of elegantly deals with it. Mm -hmm. You know, he kind of writes around it in an elegant way, even though it is, like you say, it's kind of maybe the biggest time travel movie is Back to the Future Part Two. Um, and even but, that doesn't make total sense. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> doesn't make total sense. No, but yeah, it's. Uh, I think I think the Terminator is essentially a slasher film. It's a, oh, you totally. know, I was going to say you know, that. Yeah, I feel like it's, you know, it's just time travel is just a, a device to get the uh, you know the monster the back. The Terminator is a monster, and uh, yeah. you know it's, it's just he comes from the future. So what? It doesn't matter. But you, yeah, it's just a around. device to get this uh, monster here, and it's. Uh, you know, let's see how we can make a slasher film a little bit more interesting, a little different. More science fiction A little more science yeah. fiction But again, yeah. you know, Cameron commits to the science fiction. It opens with the future battle. And you gotta, you got to remember, again, this is a guy, this is his first film. You know, he's just been fired off his last film. Piranha 2. <laughs> yeah, Piranha 2, you know. And he's like, he's, he's escalated up the food chain incredibly rapidly. He goes from like a truck driver to an art director to a model, a model maker, to an art director, to a director, to suddenly like a writer director, like I think within the space of like a year or two years. And, and he commits to that scenario like fully, you know, the, I think again, the little details, like the fact that the ground is made up of, you know, skulls right. is yeah. kind of amazing. And these laser ships flying around and they've got names and, you know, it's, he, yeah, no, he commits. And I think he does a really good job with the mythology of it too. So if it is a slasher film, what most slasher films lack is a really solid, more than two second mythology where they talk about like you know the names of the robots and how they they progress and how it happened and the types of ships there are like and even just yeah. seeing a little bit of this other world that he creates i think is very it's, it's an arresting image i that's something i really liked about it is seeing all that stuff and knowing that like oh man that's how it happened that's the way things progress it's just it's interesting um I'm, go ahead oh, sorry go ahead no, no go I was ahead. just going to say the, the, the modern analog film that I was thinking about a lot was It Follows. I don't know if mm. you guys have seen it. Oh, I've yeah. heard about it. Yeah. 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 And, and It Follows kind of like does a similar thing, which is that it's a smaller, intimate film, but it's, and I don't know if it does as, as big a job of explaining its entire mythos, but, but it's kind of the strong, you know, the, that's the strength of the film is that you don't exactly know how it works. Um, it just sets and, up rules and follows them. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> exactly. But, yeah. Um, I got it. Yeah, it's great. I no, I think uh, you know. Um, I, I was thinking as well about uh, Star Wars for some reason. I was just about about the way that there's a a, dip, a a big mythology that he kind of is setting up, and he does it in this smaller film, uh, which is cool. Okay. I think the thing that the, uh, these Terminator sequels don't quite get is that part of what makes mythology fun is not really explaining it all, right? I mean, part of part of the fun of the Terminator and the Matrix and a lot of films that kind of uh, you know had much uh, had sequels that weren't very good where that they try to explain too much. I mean, we don't need a lot of midichlorians. Right? Yeah. Yeah. It's, yeah. Especially stuff like yeah, that. I mean, uh, with the... <laughs> I mean, mythology depends on uh, a little bit of the unknown. And I think, uh, you know, there's lucky for all of us that Cameron didn't have enough budget to make uh, a claymation Terminator. So. Oh my God. <laughs> because like I said, the, the, the um, uh, stop motion animation just barely holds up. In fact, some scenes a little silly looking. Yeah. Some of it, it but looks scary. Kind of it looks kind of nightmarish. You know, like we only see it a couple of times. Right. Exactly. Thank God for that. Like, it is a, for a majority of it, it's, it's good. And in a few places, they they use it, and it somehow looks terrifying. It's just it's this thing of moving someone jerky. But whenever they have to show the thing full body pose, it's walking. It's it's like. Ah. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, um, I guess I'm. Uh, we're kind of nearing the end of our hour, so I thought we kind of would do a round robin close out. I guess my final question, and you can you know be brief thoughts on this, is Terminator 
the movie that it does Terminator. Okay, Terminator Two um, it belongs in great greatest science fiction movies of all time. Greatest science fiction action movies of all time. Does Terminator One belong in there with it? I guess is how I would phrase that question. And Mike, I'll start with you. Yeah, I think it needs to be. Um, I think it's it's a little more on like the the sparks side, um, but I, I like what it does. I think it does a good job of it. Uh, clearly, for it to have spawned so many movies, and I feel like such a, a, a rabid fan base, I feel like you know it, it, it belongs there for a reason. I'd be really curious to see Terminator Two, and when I think about that, um, in, in comparison, I'm imagining that's going to be a lot better, and that probably is what cements it, maybe. So I, I would say it by itself, maybe not so much. I, I would I would hazard a guess that Terminator Two is what kind of puts it on the shelf. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, I, I enjoyed it for what it was, and I think like I was expecting it to be. I feel like I always expect these movies to be really dumb, and then they end up turning around to be like, you know, it's almost too bad. It wasn't too dumb. It was there was a little bit more character development there, a little more like you know backstory or world building than I anticipated. So, um, yeah, I liked it. I think it's good. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks, Mike. I liked it. It was good. That was the box quote. Uh, Shahir, uh, what, I was what... summing up. <laughs> Come on. Uh, and uh, being the huge Terminator Two fan that you are, um, what do you? Uh, I guess the same question to you: Does Terminator One belong in that canon with it? Well, I like your uh, Evil Dead analogy, um, although that's a, a series of films I'm less familiar with. Um, you know, I have seen them, but just not a lot. And and the, the the analogy that I was thinking of was more Terminator 1 is to Terminator 2 what Batman begins is to the Dark Knight. Ooh, that's don't... not bad either. All right. Mm-hmm. And, 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 and mm-hmm. believe, tr- you know, trust me when I say this, uh, having watched The Dark Knight obsessively and Terminator 2, I think... The Dark Knight owes a lot to Terminator 2 in terms of the way it structures out a story. Um, but, I, you know, I'm not a big fan of Batman Begins, even though I think it does a lot of world building that helps us get to the Dark Knight, and the Dark Knight kind of pays it off. So if you kind of think of it as one, if, if you think about Terminator 1 and 2 as kind of one whole film, then yes, Terminator 1 deserves to be there, but I think... Terminator 1 is a great setup for Terminator 2, and you, I think you need to watch it in order to, to appreciate Terminator 2, but maybe you don't. Uh, maybe you don't necessarily. I think it's an amazing first film as well, um, and I think it demonstrates to me, you know, the things that I'm passionate about as a filmmaker is a commitment to vision, um, which I think is really important, and, and just James Cameron is just one of those guys that just commits to a vision 100% even in the face of lunacy which I think is opening <laughs> opening your first film with a, a future world battle that almost is irrelevant to your main story <laughs> you know knowing that the, the things that happen in that scene probably cost more than 95% of the rest of the film uh, I just yeah you know that's what I think about it <laughs> and Dave what about you yeah well uh, well, question. I mean, what, what are my is final thoughts? Classic. Is it a classic? Is the movie? Do you okay? When I, you're ready to sit your daughter Julia yeah. down to watch some <laughs> you're hardcore action, on your knee. do you do you start? Do you just skip past Terminator and just plop in Terminator Two? You say no. You need to start with the beginning. And do you make her watch Terminator One? I think I'm okay with just Terminator Two. Honestly, Ooh, I mean that's in, in my opinion. Okay. I mean that said, I mean Terminator is. Uh, you know, it, it's almost become more of a of a movie for film geeks, you know, as opposed to like general mainstream audiences. It's like, oh yeah, the term. If you if you ask a lot of people, uh, you know, that are that are really cineasts, they'll say that uh, the Terminator is the better of the best of the uh, bunch, just for its uh, kind of uh, very lean uh, quality, right? I mean, but uh, 
I don't know. I, I would go with Terminator 2. Um, Terminator, the, the thing that I that really kind of stuck out for me this time that, that I'll, that I'll uh, try to end on is that uh, uh, the hero of the film, Michael Bean, I mean, he's a fairly strong presence. I, ha- I mean, I, I'm kind of a fan of uh, his kind of... His pecs. Know, his, you could say his pecs. No, yeah. he, he's got kind of an edgy... I mean, of, of all the, uh, the protagonists in all, in all the Terminator films, I mean, I think he's probably my favorite. So if you're gonna watch it for me, I think you watch it for Michael B. And I think he's—I I did like him. Yeah, I think he's—he—he's he, the you know tough guy, antihero guy without being like he's a virgin though. without being <laughs> without being <laughs> a mean you know mean guy. A Courtney in, in Courtney in the, in the Terminator Genesis who just plays it with no personality. No, no. Yeah. Yeah, Michael Bean has uh, a certain je ne sais quoi to him. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, I think we can end now. He's using uh, the mise en scene to... Uh, oh, my God. Um, yeah. So, um, yeah, uh, closing out this podcast, um, we're going to... Mike, where can people find your work on the internet? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Mike Miranda. You can find me on my website at MikeMirandi.com. And if you are into graphic design and animation, you can find me on Dribble at Dribble.com slash MikeMirandi. And Shahir, what about you? Uh, you can find me on my website, ShahirDaud.com. I'll spell it because it's a hard name. S-H-A-H-I-R-D-A-U-D. Um, and check out our other podcast, which is called The Only Podcast About Movies. Which <laughs> remains to be seen. I mean, we have to discuss this after I, I stand by our title. <laughs> Ouch. <laughs> Ouch. That hurts. Uh, Dave. Check your travels back in time and murders our podcast. <laughs> uh, Dave Glantz on Twitter, G-L-A-N-Z, DaveGlantzProductions.com. And you can find me on Twitter at Ivan Kander. My website is Lucky9Studios.com, and I write and curate for a website called ShortOfTheWeek.com. So, uh, yeah, there we go. Uh, for next week's episode, um, I think... I'm going to do this, guys. We're doing it live. We're going to do it live. No discussion. No, 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 no. Drop it on us. For next week's episode, we're going to celebrate the 20th anniversary of a little film called Clueless, uh, the 1995. Oh, my God. I hate that's you. Right. For one second, I... I thought you said Clue when I said that's more, that's more than 20 years. Yeah, yes. I right. wish to celebrate a 20-year anniversary uh, of the Amy Heckling Clueless. film. Oh, we God. need to find a female presence to be on that podcast, so we'll, I'll do my best to do that. Um, and you can, if you want to listen to more of our episodes, you can go to reviewedpodcast.com. You can find us at facebook.com slash reviewedpodcast. We are on iTunes. Be sure to subscribe and leave us a review. And if you want to email us, you can email us at contact at reviewedpodcast.com. Uh, until next time, thanks so much for joining us. And Shahir, thanks so much for calling in. We really appreciate it. Thanks, man. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. It was fun. Thanks.